Hi, I'm Barbara Cole, the curator of the Outdoor Art Collection at UBC. Uh, and I'm really thrilled to be introducing today uh, Holly Schmidt, uh, our artist in residence in the Outdoor Art Program, and Lorna Brown, the curator of the Belkin Art Gallery. Um, I just wanted to say that this residency was really, uh, it came at a, a perfect time for us, um, both because uh, the university, the Belkin and the University Art Committee had all identified that future art commissions for the outdoor collection would be coming about through exploration and research. And um, it also offered us an opportunity to really experiment more with the framework of an artist in residence and what that could mean to our overall program. Um, Holly's proposal was to do a very slow residency, one that would unfold over the period of maybe two, three or more years. Um, that really appealed to me as a curator because when I had worked with artists in residence in the past, the feedback that continually came back was that there was never enough time, never enough time to really delve into the very particular situation that they were in. Um, and certainly with Holly's practice, um, one in which she's an artist who has such a wonderful grasp of the breadth of materiality, materiality being not just the stuff of the work itself and the manipulation of matter, but rather that of um, the history, the social context, the conditions and situation of which she's in. That for Holly is, is all material that she can work with. So all of that, plus the fact that Holly is one who um, really works with uh, curiosity, both as um, both, I guess, as, as something that is a part of her practice, but also as a skill. And also that she's able to actually um, make her learning public. So she has no qualms about coming in as somebody who is a learner, as opposed to being um, somebody who is an authority. Um, so learning in public, uh, slow residency, perfect timing, everything was set up for, for vegetal, to in, vegetal encounters to really um, take root. Um, so with that, I'm going to just turn it over to uh, Lorna, who's going to lead this wonderful conversation. Thanks so much, Barbara. So many of the theoretical concerns of proximity and distance and embodiment have gone from being um, strictly theoretical or um, speculative concerns into something that we're all really completely uh, immersed in right now. I'm going to ask Holly to uh, talk a little bit about those notions of, of uh, proximity and distance, uh, ideas of care, um, the tumultuousness of our current situation, um, maybe perhaps grief that we're experiencing about that. Um, and all how that all relates to embodiment and that sense of materiality that um, that Barbara commented on. Thanks, Lorna, and and thanks for that introduction, Barbara. I really appreciate it. Um, so, uh, I, I'm you know I'm glad that you mentioned uh, grief, Lorna, because I think. Um, you know, this has really been an undercurrent for me um, over the last while. And 
um, you know, I've lost, uh, I lost my mother uh, over uh, the Christmas holidays. And um, my dad has fairly recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so I, I find myself in my, you know, my personal life, I'm really kind of grappling with loss, um, you know, I think in one of the most sort of intimate ways within, you know, my family and my, you know, my, um, those that are sort of closest to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I, I had an interesting experience, I guess, when I was in uh, Sydney, Australia, uh, with other sites for artists projects uh, and uh, the Sydney Festival. And I was uh, part of a project called The Future is Floating. And, you know, I think that project was, you know, we were very much kind of grappling with, um, uh, you know, floating maybe as a sense of kind of precarity or a lack of groundless uh, grounding. Um, and part of the residency involved us being out on a boat in Sydney Harbor, uh, you know, floating around. Um, and it happened to be uh, during the, you know, the really uh, intense um, uh, bushfires that were taking place. And I, I was sitting on the deck uh, with uh, artist Marianne Nicholson, and we started to have a conversation about, about grief and about, um, you know, this sort of being floating on this vessel and sort of looking out towards the city and, um, you know, really at times sort of feeling like, you know, this is a beautiful place and, you know, what a beautiful moment to be in and feeling like life was sort of, you know, kind of normal in a way. And then the smoke would kind of start to drift in and, um, you know, cast this kind of veil over the city. And suddenly you kind of come to awareness again that actually nothing is really normal, um, that uh, the world is kind of burning down around you. And, um, and, you know, you're kind of in this really exceptional state and, um, and how to kind of grapple with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I found this conversation for me, I really felt that I you know, because I, I was sort of struggling to, to determine, you know, was I conflating my own personal grief with um, a kind of grief around, you know, uh, the fires around climate crisis. And, you know, Marianne and I were talking about that and um, about how it's not really, you know, a conflation. It's, it's about, um, I think it's just, you know, that, if anything, I think my personal experience has just, uh, it's been a lesson in grief and it's been a lesson in kind of understanding uh, grief on maybe this other scale uh, in relation to the planet, in relation to loss of, um, you know, so many things uh, that are, you know, I think really core to me and to my understanding of, of this place and, um, and my place in it. So, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. I, I find myself thinking a lot about, you know, the ways that, you know, grief can be very intermittent, for example, that, uh, you, um, you know, sometimes it can feel sort of wash over you and feel very sort of present and very painful. And at other times it, uh, you know, it sort of recedes and things seem very normal and you're kind of going about your day-to-day -day life. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I had this experience and I had this, you know, amazing conversation with Marianne in Sydney and it was in the context of the bushfires. And then, you know, I, I came back and then suddenly it was like only a matter of weeks really. And then this is playing out in the context of this global pandemic. 
and yet I think this this undercurrent of grief is is there. It's um, and I find myself just thinking a lot about the the kind of parallels. Um, I guess another one I, I might mention is that I think when you're grieving too, there's sort of a sense of being kind of together and apart, um, that you're in relation, but you're somehow a little bit separate um, from life that is going on. Um, and so in some ways the, the pandemic feels to me like it's created a set of circumstances or a kind of situation where that is my actual set of circumstances, not just a, a feeling or a, a response. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess uh, these, these are things that have, you know, have really been sort of weighing on my mind and have really been framing, I think, how I'm thinking about kind of the current situation, um, uh, the pandemic, but also climate crisis. Um, and I, I guess I sort of see the pandemic as being kind of part and parcel of that, that crisis. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, you know, that's global, but also like very, very personal and, you know, very much a part of my relationships in day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying in terms of the, um, how embedded or implicated the pandemic is uh, within climate crisis, which comes down again to this idea of proximity uh, so the proximity of species actually generating um, this little bit of RNA that uh, has essentially put the brakes on um, the economy, on social relations, on uh, global capitalism. Uh, it, so it's also really, um, it's a lesson in humility as well as a lesson in grief, I think. Yeah, and I think in human sort of hubris as well. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've certainly read things about how, you know, the, the continual encroachment on natural spaces and the natural world um, that, you know, sort of shrinks uh, the territory that uh, so many species have to kind of live and to thrive. Um, you know, it, it, it creates this sort of potential for this kind of spillover or for these kinds of interactions or, um, you know, something that in turn has become really threatening for, for humans. Uh, yeah. And uh, are you noticing or thinking about different modes of embodiment and relation? Um, as we're all sort of negotiating uh, um, conversations, planning, thinking from this distant and really mediated uh, setup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've been thinking about uh, this a lot um, and kind of grappling with um, what this means in terms of the kind of work that I do. Um, you know, one thing that I've, I'm finding quite fascinating actually is um, that, uh, you know, given the current sort of regulations around staying at home, um, sort of one of the things that people are able to do right now is to, to be able to go out for a walk. And so I'm finding that, uh, you know, I find when I go out for a walk myself in my neighborhood or uh, go to a park or something like that, or, or go for a hike, it's interesting to see how many people are um, 
venturing out into um, natural spaces and kind of reconnecting with them. And uh, so I find, I find that actually quite fascinating that this has almost created an opening um, for uh, kind of like a, you know, a biophilia to, you know, kind of uh, expand and new relations to exist, I think, with the natural world. Um, and uh, so in that, I sort of feel like there's a lot of kind of opportunity um, for, for sort of new relations to exist. Um, and it, it seems strange to me. I mean, it's, a, you know, that it's actually, um, you know, that it's happening because of a virus, you know, it's happening because of, um, you know, something that's something, you know, kind of quite fearful and quite frightening and quite threatening. Um, it is happening and that it's based within the natural world, but that the one thing people can do is kind of like move out towards that world and to kind of embrace it and spend time with it and listen to it and, you know, smell it and, um, yeah, and to touch it and to connect with it. And it's kind of interesting that we can do this with the natural world right now, but we can't really do this with one another. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I find that really, really uh, interesting in terms of, uh, you know, a kind of an embodied practice and one that's, you know, trying to create these, an, an alternate set of relations with the natural world. Um, I think, uh, you know, other aspects of my practice though, um, you know, part of, you know, and I think Barbara touched on this as well and when she was introducing me is, um, you know, a lot of the learning that I do and, and kind of very embodied or experiential learning I do is with others. And so, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, social relations meeting ecological relations. And uh, so I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm really grappling with, you know, how do I, how do I reconceive ways of being together um, but apart, um, how do we continue to do this work? How do we continue to have these conversations? Um, and without necessarily just an automatic, um, like almost like retreat to the digital. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm finding myself thinking about things like, uh, you know, an audience of, or participant of one or, um, you know, even translating some of the things that I've been a part of in the past, um, you, uh, you know, different walks and things like that that I've done. Um, one of them is a sensorial walk uh, that I, you know, I've led many students on at UBC. And, you know, the walk is really intended to, you know, it, it's a series of exercises about using your senses to connect with the natural world and uh, to kind of uh, consider the natural world and your place in it or in that community differently. And so I've been thinking about, you know, how, how might that translate into uh, kind of like an audio experience that is leading you through a natural space of your choice, um, but is actually connecting you um, to that space. Um, so yeah, there's a number of things I think that are kind of going through my mind. Of, some of them are sort of translations, but I think there's also things that are just emerging as maybe something new or, or new ways of thinking about working in my practice too. I think uh, we're in a much more of an uh, observant space. Mm -hmm. I, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and. It, I notice that 
because I don't have to contend as much with uh, traffic noise and stuff like that, that I tend to pay more attention to the oral space of the city and listen differently. Um, and then I think also the observation uh, that I'm noticing on social media and other digital platforms where people are commenting on uh, animal activity mm. in public space and um, the, it seems like the jury's out whether uh, the animals are just sort of like taking back territory or whether they've always been there but we just weren't paying any attention. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I've really been noticing that as well, Lorna, and I, you know, uh, and, and a lot of it is coming up through social media. I think actually one image that kind of immediately jumps to mind uh, was, um, I think it was in a, like a safari park uh, somewhere in South Africa, and the lions were all, like there's a pride of lions just like laid out on the pavement, just taking up space in the sun on the road, and um I just thought there was something actually kind of magnificent about that, um, that, you know, they just took over that stretch as, uh, you know, a lovely hot rock to, to lay on. Um, and it, it's, I don't know, there was something about where it felt like they were really taking up space uh, in a way that they maybe hadn't been able to do in that park before. Um, and so, yeah, I find all of these, uh, these stories coming out about, um, just so the presence of, uh, you know, all of these creatures that are kind of, um, you know, it makes, it, I guess it makes me wonder, like, what would the world be like without us? Um, or, you know, without a, maybe a world without capitalism or colonization, that sort of thing. Um, you know, what, what would, uh, what would the world be like for all of these, these creatures? It's pretty, it's, I think it's kind of fascinating question to think on. Yeah, I think the um, I think about like science fiction genre, uh, and in particular, you know, science fiction films that are sort of based on things like pandemics, um, the um, the heroes, the subjects are always the humans. It's mm -hmm. like really rare to have the through line be. Um, non-human species um, and so finally you were talking about um, this sort of change in perception um, and then earlier you were talking about how um, there never really was a normal and that the, the notion of normal um, is something that we hear again and again every day when it comes to mm. uh, the um, press conferences from various government officials and stuff is around this idea of normal. Um, any thoughts? <laughs> um, y y uh, yeah, certainly. I, I think, um, y you know, I think, I feel like uh, Arundhati uh, Roy is probably, you know, who's an incredible writer and, you know, activist uh, based in India. And uh, she, I, I feel like she, you know, she put out this essay that says it so well, and she refers to the pandemic as a portal. And uh, if you'll bear with me, I wouldn't mind reading just like a small quote um, uh, from her essay. Um, she says, uh, historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. 
This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our databanks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. Um, so I found, uh, yeah, I just found that, that quote um, spoke, you know, very strongly to me. And I, you know, I wonder if uh, our pandemic preparation shouldn't be more about how to move through that portal lightly. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this really touches on a lot of things that I've been, you know, really contending with in my practice around the notions of collaborative survival and, um, you know, and coming together in, in, you know, capitalist ruin and, you know, how is it that we are going to imagine other futures? Um, and uh, what set of relations, what kind of care do we want to attend to in, in that future? Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I feel like this is a really significant moment. Um, and it's funny, you know, the days seem to move by slowly and yet there's this kind of an urgency, I think, to, to how we respond. Um, and that urgency for me isn't about how do we kind of return to some notion of normal or, you know, how can I go back to doing everything the way I was doing it before? Um, I think it's sort of like, how can I um, uh, take care of, you know, those around me? How can I take care of the natural world? How can I uh, kind of move lightly into this, this new opening um, and, and be kind of ready? I mean, I think as Roy mentions, to fight for it. Um, but also to to live it and to really exemplify it and to embody it, um, whatever that you know, whatever that might be. So that's great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Holly. And I'm feeling good. fly out in the sun you know what I mean don't you know butterflies all having fun you know what I mean sleep in peace when day is done that's what I mean and this old world is a new world and a bold world for me shine, you know how I feel, send out the pine, you know how I feel, oh, freedom is mine.
It's a new day, it's a new life.